shops for printers and office equipment. Service is their business. On Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Hour number two, Oilers now. In this hour, Joe Haggerty, Hack with Hags from Comcast Sportsnet New England, Jimmy Fox, L.A. Kings television analyst, and the head coach of the Oilers farm team in Bakersfield, Jerry Fleming. The Oilers and the L.A. Kings tonight. I'll do a reset on the lines. It was an optional practice for the morning skate today in Edmonton. Uh, I'll do the uh, what I see the lines likely to be at about 120. Second hour of Oilers now is brought to you by our title sponsor, Digitex, Canada's largest Canada dealership where their main goal is to save you time and money and provide true Alberta service. Check them out at digitex.ca. Digitex now has a supplies division where you can find paper and supplies for all brands of office equipment. And a reminder, the legendary uh, long-time play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Eskimos, Brian Hall, he does not work for Digitex. Just you know, he won't be showing up uh, when uh, the Digitex service staff uh, roll around. All right, Hacks with Hags joins us right now. Joe Haggerty from Comcast Sportsnet New England. Joe, how you doing? Doc, what's happening? How are you? Well, to be honest with you, we, we've hit the skids here a bit, Joe, and the fans are down. You know how fans are uh, when a team wins seven out of nine games, they want to keep everybody, and when they lose, uh, well, the Oilers lost five straight games at home, uh, four of them outright. One of them were, was a shootout loss, but uh, now they want to trade everybody. There's there's no untouchables left, and uh, it's been a frustrating season in Edmonton. Conversely, it's probably been a little bit of a surprise in Boston. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, it's been a surprise, you know, the fact that they've pretty much been in the playoff picture, uh, you know, from uh, shortly before Thanksgiving all the way through to now. Uh, you know, they've been up towards the uh, the top end of that, you know, huge glut of teams that are all packed together uh, in the Eastern Conference. So, so that part has been good. And, you know, uh, obviously some of their players, Bergeron, Marchand, Erickson, uh, Krejci, have had outstanding seasons. Uh, offensively, production-wise, the power play has been uh, really, really good all year. Offensively, they've been explosive. Uh, so all that stuff has been a surprise. I think they're maybe ahead, a little ahead of where they thought they were going to be as far as that goes. But I think there's still obviously a very realistic um, expectation from the fan base uh, as to where the Bruins are and you know, from the media and the people around the team that you know, this is a team that's going to win the Stanley Cup this year. And they've got some interesting decisions coming up, especially with a guy like Louis Erickson, as to what to do now, uh, you know, based on their playoff position, but also based on the reality of their situation. All right. Well, Louis Erickson uh, was the player, was the primary player acquired in the Tyler Sagan trade. Um, he's had some issues with concussions, but he's had a heck of a year this year. And you, again, you know how people are when a guy puts up numbers. Well, you can't trade that guy. But what is the sentiment in Boston? Is there a recognition that maybe the best thing for the organization is to move him as a UFA if they can't get him done to a long-term deal? Yeah, and I don't think they're anywhere close, and I don't think they're going to come to terms on a, on a new deal because they don't want to go more than three to four years on that player uh, because he's going to be you know, 31 in the offseason, because he's had some concussion problems in the past. I think there's a wariness to, to go to the five or six years that, that uh, Erickson wants at you know well over six million dollars a season. I think he'll get that from somebody uh, on July 1st, uh, just based on the fact he's you know pacing for 30 plus goals and close to 70 points this year, and he plays in all situations, and you know he's a very useful player. But I think for what the Bruins are doing and from where for where they're at, they're just not willing to make that kind of a term commitment with their money. So. 
As far as the fan base goes, uh, it's funny. I put out a poll last night on Twitter. I did one of those tweets where you can poll and ask, you know, if they can't come to a contract extension with Louis Erickson, are you, you know, A, okay with him being traded uh, and trading the asset, uh, trading Erickson for assets, or B, holding on to him uh, for the playoff run? And I've got about 2,000 responses, and it's uh, 80-20 in favor of trading him. So uh, fans, I think, are very okay with dealing him before the deadline to get the assets back. A prime rental like that, I feel like, can still get a first-round pick in a, in, a draft, in a prospect in return at bare minimum. And I think Don Sweeney is still trying to put something together to get a defenseman uh, that can help them right now. Uh, a top four guy, and maybe Erickson is part of that package that gets that player. I, I think Don Sweeney is working on a couple of different levels on multiple deals and, and wants to make a couple of different moves to help this team both now and in the future. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do, but I'd be very surprised if Louis Erickson is in a Bruins uniform after February 29th. So you think they can get a, like a, a mid to late round first round pick for Erickson? I think so. Yeah, I think so from a contender. I think they can get a first-round pick and, uh, you know, maybe even a little bit more than that, but certainly I think they can get the first-rounder. And I know that the report was out. I think Pierre Lebrun had that report saying that, you know, teams weren't willing to give up, aren't going to be willing to give up first-round picks uh, for rentals this year. But I think there are a couple of players. And I know I saw today that, like, Florida supposedly is balking at a first-round pick. Uh, for Andrew Ladd. But I think players like Ladd and Erickson that are at the very top of the rental market and could obviously help, uh, especially Erickson, could help a team uh, like an Anaheim, like a Minnesota, like a St. Louis that is uh, a playoff team but badly needs more offensive help. Uh, teams like that that are kind of in a win-now mode or now-or-never mode, I think uh, somebody like that's going to be willing to give up a first-round pick for a player that can make a big difference like that. And uh, I don't my think theory, Dane, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, sorry, Joe. My theory on Florida is I don't think that Dale Talon thinks his team's there yet. I think he still thinks his team's right. another year away. And that's why he doesn't want to give up that first run. You know? Yeah, and he, so. uh, are you willing to uh, you know, sell all out if you're Dale Talon and the Florida Panthers on a team that hasn't been in the playoffs in a little while, you know, a couple of years? And a lot of those young guys are going to be in the postseason for the first time. Absolutely not. I, I think you're you're bang on with that. But I think there are teams out there, whether it's you know Chicago, whether it's L.A., whether it's St. Louis, Minnesota, Anaheim, Pittsburgh, out there that are legit Pittsburgh, and, and you know are in win now mode with the players that they have, and are going to be willing to give up first round picks. So uh, I do think they're going to get that. I think bare minimum they get a first round or a prospect. And like I said before. I, I I think there are still a number of young defensemen that the Bruins uh, are really intrigued by. Maybe they don't get one of those players or a chance to crack at one of those players until the summertime. But I think Don Sweeney's trying to do everything he can right now to get a, a top three, top four defenseman, a right shot guy on this Bruins team because they so desperately need that kind of player right now. When you look at their defenseman core, when you look at the mistakes they're making, when you look at how stretched out some of those players are in the D core because they're being asked to do way above and beyond what they should be at this point. They need another body in there immediately. Would there be all right? You, you mentioned a right shot guy. So the Oilers have Justin Schultz, and he's had a difficult campaign, to say the least. Has not progressed the way anybody had hoped he would. There's lots of reasons why it's happened. Justin would be the first to admit the majority of which are on him. Um, could you foresee the Bruins bringing a, a guy like Schultz in on a look-see basis, given the fact that he is a restricted free agent, you don't have to qualify him, or and and you know maybe 
seeing how he goes in the final 20 games of the year. Uh, even if he were to go to free agency, you know, you look at Delzato. I mean, Nashville didn't ultimately end up uh, qualifying him as a restricted free agent. Then he ended up getting signed by the Flyers. I mean, there is a right shot guy that can move the puck a bit. Does that make any sense at all? Or I mean, I think, you know, I I don't know. You tell me. Well, I think on a theory level it makes sense. You know, I think he's the kind of player, young, right shot, uh, puck moving ability. You know, he checks off a lot of the boxes of what they need. And I think maybe in a situation like Boston, uh, maybe that would allow him a fresh start around a different set of players or maybe a more experienced set of players uh, to, to find uh, that next level in his game that he wasn't able to get to in Edmonton. Uh, and I, 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 for one, would think it's interesting for the Bruins, and I think what they want to do is get a young guy they can take a look at, potentially have a long you know, partnership with. And uh, if you say Justin Schultz comes in and he really plays well and sort of blossoms with the Bruins, and he's an RFA, you know, you, you control his rights at that point still, and you know, you can make the decision on what you want to do with him one way or the other. So I know the price tag's a little hefty on him. And that's part of the equation as well, and you know, retaining him or arbitration and all that stuff. But I think on a theory level, it makes sense. I think there are probably some options the Bruins are looking at before him. Yep. But I also wonder, you know, at the end of the day, given what we know that the Bruins didn't take a better deal from the Edmonton to trade Dougie Hamilton there in the summertime and that they really weren't willing to deal with Edmonton then. I wonder if that changes and if, uh, you know, Don Sweeney, Cam Neely, and Peter Torelli can make something work now or if there's still, like, you know, some kind of hard feelings or whatever uh, from from the way it ended there and, and that they, they wouldn't be able to deal. I think that's an intriguing and interesting situation because on paper you would think a guy like Schultz might be a good fit for the Bruins. Well, it's interesting because, you know, we have heard rumors that Boston, the opening ask for, from Boston was for Darnell Nurse. And, I mean, Boston asked for a heck of a lot less or got a heck of a lot less than a player of, uh, you know, I mean, just based on the pick combination that they got from the Flames of, of Darnell Nurse's ilk. So, well, well, uh, when you immediately come out with the Darnell Nurse, so you're almost saying you don't want to make a trade, right? I mean, that's, that's what you're saying. You're saying we're not doing a deal with you. We want Nurse. Yeah. And, of course, right. the owners aren't going to do that. All right. Uh, Joe Haggerty joining us out of Boston. Joe, you dealt with Peter Shirelli for a number of years. When he first came to Boston, obviously he observed, you know, what was going on with the Bruins, and he, he had an interesting comment the other day. He was asked, you know, do you evaluate what happens down the stretch when your team's out of it? Because the Oilers are pretty clearly out of it right now, and the Bruins were in a tough spot, too, and he said he learned a lot about his the players that he had, and that, the, that necessitated some of the moves that occurred over the next couple of years. You were there. I mean, you witnessed a lot of this stuff. What, from your recollection, you know, and your observations, what did you see that Shirelli did or didn't do. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, so much of a part of the improvement from that first year when he took over and it was still kind of a mess there uh, to building up towards uh, what they turned into was the change in coach. You know, in uh, that first year, Peter Shirelli had uh, Dave Lewis. He had hired him as the head coach. It was very clear that that was a mistake and that that wasn't going to work. And he quickly uh, corrected that mistake and hired Claude Julian, and, and that became a you know, great partnership that worked for a long time. And, and that was a big part of it. I think they were also, in that first year, uh, Peter did a really good job of uh, identifying uh, players that, that just probably weren't going to work that he was tied to uh, when he first got there. 
and and moving some of those players and bringing in other players that became uh, you know key factors or bigger figures in helping build things back up. I, you know, I remember uh, trading uh, Brad Stewart away, and uh, I believe it was trading Brad Stewart away, and he got Andrew Ference in that deal, and Chuck Kobasu, and both of those players were good, and obviously Ference was around for a long time, and then uh, there was also uh, I believe it was Paul, Paul Mara to the Rangers, and he got back Aaron Ward, and Ward Wardo was pretty good for a couple years there as, as Dano Chara's partner, and he was good in the room as well. And, and you saw what Peter Shirelli did was he identified needs and weaknesses on the team, he addressed those down the stretch in that first year, but he also, I think, identified what he wanted to mold the group into as far as an identity, a personality, like all that stuff, and brought in some really good dressing room guys. And that made a big difference. And I think on those levels, those moves had a pretty big impact. When you looked at them at the time, you thought, oh, it's just making, you know, shaking things up ahead of the trade deadline. Uh, but they were significant, and they had a lasting impact over the following few years. And, you know, I was that second uh, summer, there were definitely more, you know, free agents brought in that were kind of in that same vein and changes made. But I think those, those uh, come to mind to me. As the biggest changes, I mean, there was also the fact that that second year uh, that Shirelli was there, the first year with Claude, you know, they developed Milan Lucic. He made the team out of camp that year, was a surprise, and then became an impactful player. David Krejci's first full season, Phil Kessel uh, in his second full year. You know, some of their young players really started to develop in that second year as well. So uh, it was a combination of, of moves and changes made to the roster and also young guys developing and changing coach, you know. It was an interesting evolution uh, that took place in those first couple of years with the Bruins. Joe, the, uh, the, the Bruins crushed uh, the Maple Leafs ultimately on the Kessel deal, especially when you look at what the Maple Leafs, you know, they, they ate salary to move Kessel uh, out to Pittsburgh when they did change in the guard. They got two picks, you know, a second and a ninth overall pick. But I, I want to, from an Oilers perspective here, there's going to come a point, and it might be this summer, where the Oilers need to address need to upgrade their defense, and they're probably going to have to move one of their young forwards. And one of the questions we get asked a lot is, you know, the return on Tyler Sagan and how that Sagan deal went down. And can you just re-educate our fan base? There were extenuating circumstances and not all on the ice as to why Tyler Sagan became available. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were multiple circumstances. Of course, there was the salary cap issues, and but there was also, and there was the fact that they had David Krejci and Therese Bergeron as their top two centers, and that Sagan was never going to be a top two center there with those two players in place, having you know won cups and had success. Uh, but there was also the off the ice component, and you know the the behavioral stuff, the maturity stuff, and uh, you know the commitment to the game. Uh, dedication to being a pro and, you know, the fact that the Bruins were in a win-now situation and it was going to take years before uh, Sagan was going to mature into the kind of player that was going to be able to carry a team in the playoffs and be like a, you know, a a key performer for a team that could win the Cup. And, you know, even though Sagan is great in the regular season now and, you know, he puts up huge numbers in Dallas and they've done some good things there, I'm still not convinced he's quite that player yet that's going to be able to carry them in the postseason and be a really pretty uh, performer in addition to being a dazzling offensive specimen, you know. And and I, I think those all played into it. And, you know, I, I'm still not convinced that he's there yet. I, it'll be interesting to see what the Stars and Sagan do in the playoffs this year. 
and whether that changes. Because I could still very easily see them be a, a one and out first round casualty because uh, Sagan's not the kind of guy yet. I think he will be eventually, but he's not the player yet that can really uh, flourish when the ice gets uh, tight and you've got to fight for you know your spot on it. You've got to fight for every puck battle and you've got to really want it bad. You know, I, I don't know that he has that in him quite yet. And, you know, that played into it. But also, you know, being young, being stupid, staying out late, doing, you know, stuff that he shouldn't have been doing in Boston. And it got to a situation where uh, I think they felt like it was never going to improve if he stayed in Boston. And uh, he needed to be uh, shook up a little bit as a young guy. And he really needed a dose of reality. And the only way to do that was uh, a change of address. And, you know, uh, it worked for him in Dallas, clearly. You know, he's he started improving, and he certain, certainly he's more mature now than he was when he was in Boston. But, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure there's the same type of situation in Edmonton as there was with Sagan. And really, if if you could, you know, get a perfect return for a player like that, the, the big problem with Peter Shirelli's return from Dallas for Tyler Sagan was he didn't get first-round picks back like he did in the Kessel deal. If you can get first-round picks back for a player like that, especially if they're high in lottery picks, you're going to be able to get the players that you want and build it the way you want instead of taking somebody else's players from another organization. Right, you know, right. I think they were kind of backed into that deal uh, with Dallas to take what they could. And the return was fine, I guess, but, uh, you know, if, if he had exactly what he wanted, Peter Shirelli would have gotten first-round picks back for, uh, for Tyler Sagan, no question about it. Great stuff. Uh, have a fun uh, trade deadline day. We'll touch base down the road, Joe. You got it, Bob. Sounds good, my friend. All right. 124 in Edmonton. Uh, we will uh, tell you this. Some guests and orders now receive gift certificates to Japanese Village, the right choice for a celebration for the census, with three convenient locations to serve you, Northgate, downtown, and Southside. You can email us at ordersnow at 630.com, presented by Holmes by Abbey, Texas at 630-630. You're listening to Oilers Now. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 127 in Edmonton. Have you been to LaColdale Arena? ATB Financial has. That's where they surprise young head coach Colby Stone and ATB Home Ice Hero with $5,000. Watch Colby's story and nominate your own hero at atb.com backslash home ice. Coming up in our next uh, half hour block, we're going to do an Around the NHL segment brought to you by World Floor Covering. Stressing about stains and accents on your carpet. It's a thing of the past with lifeguard waterproof carpeting from Shaw Floors. If you have pets and kids, be confident your home is clean and fresh with lifeguard carpet from Shaw Floors. For details, visit worldfloorcoverings.com. This text comes in from the Chisler, a.k.a. the voice from the past. He is the internal Oilers optimist. Bob, doing your show near Staples? Question mark? Nope. You're at Venice Beach with Gene and Tom. Tom showing off his due. Gene entertaining all. Drew hit the nail on the head, Bob. I'm not a troll, to quote the chiseler, smarty pants, and definitely not from Calgary. But your show, Bob, has character pride, and you're an untouchable. The orders sweep California, and McDavid explodes with three tonight. That one comes to us from the Chisler. All right, well, I hope the Chisler is right. Uh, the best pizza in the city still make it a great Royal Pizza. Multiple locations in Edmonton to serve you, including the original Royal Pizza in Old Strathcona. 45-plus years for Royal Pizza. Stop for recommendation. Mediterranean chicken. Brand-new spot for Royal Pizza in Ellerslie. Up front. 
Uh, based on practice yesterday, it'll be Taylor Hall, Fleon Dreisaitl, Zach Cassian. They'll keep Pouliot, McDavid, and Everlay together. McDavid, 16 points in 11 games since the All-Star break. Anton Lander looks like he's going to be back in based on yesterday's practice with Teddy Purcell and Neil Yakupov. And then it'll be Latesti with Hendricks and one of Korpakovsky or Packer Rennan. Jujar Kera was recalled from the minors. Uh, the orders at times have waited a game after a recall before uh, deploying said player. Andre Sekera with Mark Fain yesterday at practice. Davidson was with Osterle. Nurse with Clendenning slash Schultz. Now, if Schultz is slashed out of the lineup, the orders bottom 4D will have a combined total of 149 games worth of experience. Cam Talbot will start in goal for Edmonton. 129 in Edmonton. Jimmy Fox coming up out of Los Angeles when we return after 630 Chad News Weather Traffic Update with Eileen Bell.